So there's lots of ways that we can shift our risk-taking behavior in a way to mediate what our preferences might be. Have you ever wondered about how we make decisions about our money? Or why we feel the way we do about those decisions? Welcome to Nudging Financial Behavior, the podcast that aims to help you understand how and why you make certain decisions about money. Presented by Dr. Giselle Willows, an expert in behavioral finance. This podcast is all about looking at human behavior and biases, especially when it comes to your finances. You can catch the series on YouTube, the Nudging Financial Behavior blog, or on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to like and subscribe to ensure you don't miss an episode. Special thanks to our sponsor, IG Market South Africa, a world-leading online trading provider that gives you access to opportunities across thousands of financial markets through their intuitive platforms and apps. Let's get started. I promised you that we'd be back for a second season and here we are. Thank you so much for your support through season one and for coming back to join us here for season two. If you're new to the podcast, I'm Dr. Giselle Willows, and this is the Nudging Financial Behavior podcast, sponsored by IG Market South Africa. And did you notice something different? I'm no longer a brunette, I'm blonde. That's because, shameless punt, I know, I'm starring in Legally Blonde the Musical, which is opening at the Artscape Theatre in Cape Town this weekend. If you're in town and looking for a fun night out, book your tickets. We do have two casts for the show, so if you want to come see me specifically, double check the dates of the specific shows I'm in. I'll put those details in the notes to the show. And back to what we're really here for. This series is all about understanding behavioral biases. It's a big topic with lots of moving parts. The thing we need to all be aware of is that human beings are not always rational, even when we think we're doing the right research and asking the right questions. Don't worry, it's not all doom and gloom. It is possible to recognize things like confirmation bias, overconfidence, and all the other biases we've discussed so far, and all the ones we're going to still discuss in this season. It's also possible to change our behavior and end up making smarter choices, especially about our finances. Just like with the last season, I've also got some great experts lined up to help us unpack the various topics of each episode. Today, I'm talking to Steve Ward, a high-performance coach, trainer, and consultant to trading, investing, and banking professionals. If you haven't done so already, please like this episode and subscribe to the channel, so you know then when new episodes will drop. In the first season, we covered some of the big biases, overconfidence and confirmation bias, as well as anchoring and framing. We also looked at the most common pitfalls that lead to financial trouble. Now, I'm not going to go back and do a recap here. I just wanted to give you a quick reminder about what we've covered so far. If you've just joined us here in season two, you might want to go back and see what we discussed in season one. Today, I want to jump straight into talking about risk. You might have heard terms such as risk tolerance or risk aversion before. That's the focus of this episode. But before we get to that, let's break it down and first get an understanding of what risk actually is. If you've ever had a meeting with a financial planner, you've most likely been assessed for your risk tolerance. The planner is looking to work out what kind of risk you're willing and able to handle when it comes to your investments. A riskier investment is one that could yield a higher return for you, but you could also lose the money you originally put in over the same period of time. Generally, 
the higher the risk, the higher the potential reward. But at the same time, the higher the risk, the higher your chance of losing your money too. How much risk you are able to tolerate can have far-reaching implications on many decisions, not just investments, but life in general. Are you the friend who wants to go bungee jumping, or are you the one who cringes when others do it? Are you entrepreneurial or a loyal employee? Coming back to investments specifically, if risk tolerance is referring to your ability to handle those ups and downs in the market, another term you can look out for is volatility. I've got a graph here of the stock market. For those of you listening to this podcast, you'll be able to find a link to the graph in the description for this episode. You can also find the video of this episode on our YouTube channel. And for those of you watching, you don't have to watch me. You can also take the series on the go with you and listen on any of your favorite podcast streaming platforms. Right, back to the graph. It shows the S&P 500, a stock market index which tracks the performance of 500 of the largest companies in the US. When we look at just one day, you can see lots of ups and downs in the graph. When you go to the five-day view, it's a little less volatile. As you zoom further out, one month, six months, a year, and five years, you can see that the overall trend is upwards. This is the volatility of the market and the individual shares. Quick ups and downs in the short term. Long term, we know that the market always goes up. This is something that Dr. Krunewald, a lifestyle financial planner at Client Care, mentioned when we chatted to him in season one about how he works with clients. Here's a reminder of what he said. So risk itself is a dirty word. Um, you know, risk in the markets. We, we, we prefer to talk about volatility. Um, you know, so temporary, temporary lows and permanent highs. Um, so yeah, we, we, we try and get them to understand that, that real investing is actually a long-term gain, uh, game and gain. Um, and, um, and, and that, you know, we, we, we help them understand that there is going to be short-term volatility. The market is inherently risky because of this volatility, but this isn't necessarily a problem for someone who has low risk tolerance, which we refer to as being risk averse. If you're looking at a long-term investment and have the patience and means to ride out the lows, you can still reap the rewards of those long-term highs. You might still be wondering what exactly it means to be risk averse, so here's a great way to help you visualize this bias. You're offered two choices. Option one, you toss a coin and if heads comes up, you're given 20,000 rand, dollars, euros, pounds, whatever works for you. If tails comes up, you get nothing. Option two, you can take 10,000 right now with no toss of the coin. Now, option one offers you double the money of option two, but the outcome isn't certain. If you're risk averse, it's more likely you'll go for option two because it's a guaranteed outcome. It's important to note that risk aversion isn't set in stone. You aren't always going to choose the least risky option if you're risk averse. If those numbers on the coin toss were much lower, maybe a coin toss for a potential 100 on the one side and a guaranteed 50 on the other, you might go for the first option because the stakes are much lower. In the same way, Someone who might have been willing to take the coin toss for the potential 20,000 might not be so cavalier if I were to tell you that the options were a guaranteed 500,000 or a possible million if the coin toss landed on heads. There is a fair amount of relativity in risk aversion. 
And a lot of it has to do with your financial capacity, which is something we're going to chat about in the next episode. But now that we have a high level understanding of what risk aversion or low risk tolerance is and how it relates to all that volatility in the market, I'm sure you might be thinking that there are some things that maybe predispose us to being able to tolerate more or less risk. And you're 100% correct. This is why it's so difficult to assess someone's risk tolerance through something like a questionnaire, which is actually the most commonly used tool for this assessment. The efficacy of these assessments is a whole discussion on its own, and I've done studies and given talks about this at length, and I'll link to those in the show notes. There are a variety of factors that come into play. Your personality type, your age, gender, marital status, level of income or financial capacity, and how financially literate you are. This is why some people like to differentiate between risk type and risk behavior. Risk type refers to your personality, which is something we're pretty much stuck with. But your personality, or risk type, determines how you perceive risk, how you react to it, and then how you make decisions, particularly when there's an unknown element to things. Those decisions are what we then refer to as your risk behavior. But to help us with this discussion, I've got Steve Ward on the line. Like I said earlier, Steve is a high-performance coach, trainer, and consultant to trading, investing, and banking professionals. He runs his own business, Performance Edge Consulting. He's also the author of books like Trader's Mind Journal, Bulletproof Trader, and High-Performance Trading. I think it's safe to say that he really knows what he's talking about when it comes to maximizing your trading behavior. Welcome to the podcast, Steve, and thank you for being our very first guest for season two. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for the invite, Giselle. I've been telling the listeners about risk type, which we know is largely influenced by our innate personality, and then our risk behavior, which is a different decision-making process, but somewhat dependent on the former. What are your thoughts on this distinction? Well, I think personality we can think of as dispositional, probably more stable, and behavior really is the visible output of disposition, but not that alone, but many other factors. So. Um, a useful metaphor, which I think people can probably relate to, is if we think about a boat that's anchored into the ocean, and so we've got the boat on the surface, we've then got the length of rope, and we've got the anchor, obviously, in the seabed. The anchor represents probably our risk type, our disposition, um, our personality um, around risk um, preferences and how we might manage and, and perceive risk. And that's going to be relatively stable through most of our adulthood. Um, um, but we've got this length of rope. Now, the anchor can still drift, of course, in the sand, but it's relatively fixed. The length of rope and then the boat on the surface. Now, the length of rope determines really how much the boat can move. So if you've got a, a short length of rope, the boat's going to be relatively stable. If you've got a longer length of rope, the boat can move quite a lot on the top. Now, for me, the, the rope is what we might call risk attitude or it's the representation of um, different risk attitudes that reflects the fact that we may have different risk behaviours um, in different contexts. So, for example, uh, recreational risk, sports and recreation versus maybe financial risk taking. And that will be a reflection of probably life experiences, uh, training, exposure to those different risks and those different contexts. So as we're going through life, we might develop different preferences or capabilities around managing risk um, in different contexts. And so for some people, they might have very different, almost polar opposite risk behaviours 
let's keep it simple, in recreational versus financial, essentially a long piece of rope. So when we see the boat on the surface, it could look very different location-wise because of the length of rope. Other people actually have a relatively stable risk um, behaviour. It looks similar in many situations. So their rope essentially is a bit shorter. The boat isn't moving as much on the top. Not that it couldn't do. It's just at that point in time to where they're at currently, that's where it's at. So risk behaviour for me really is what we see visibly um, as the output of disposition, uh, personality, but also um, experience and also things like context, social context and so on. So there's a, ver- a variety of forces which are um, affecting a person's behaviour in any context at any given moment. Yes. I want to unpack what you mentioned about experience a little more. But before I do that, let me be really forward and try extending your analogy. So my boat is anchored but I want to move. Can I pull in that anchor, move my boat, and then drop anchor somewhere else? The, it's a great question. The, if, we, if we look into personality theorem, you kind of keep it grounded in that for now, we, we probably feel that personality for most of adulthood probably is relatively stable, so the anchor's not going to move much. And that's where we might have to kind of have that awareness of perhaps our disposition and our preferences and our tendencies. It doesn't mean our behaviour can't change, of course. All we're saying is that the the anchor point is fixed. But through experience, through training, through practice, we can essentially lengthen the rope so we can get the boat moving wider on the surface. So now, for some people, maybe traumatic life events might create a bigger shift in the anchoring. But, But for most of us, it's not really about we're moving the anchor if we kind of acknowledge the anchor point and then we use the benefit of the fact that we can flex our behaviour through training, practice, experience and so on to then um, give us more rope, essentially, to allow us to show different behaviours in different contexts. Yes. So focusing on that risk behaviour, because now we know it's impacted by our personality and we can't do very much about that. But our behavior can be influenced by experience, familiarity, context, people you're around, cultural influences, and that we can do something about. We have an element of control. We can lengthen that rope. Can you give us any specific examples where you've seen that shifting of risk behavior and an ability to become more risk tolerant? Yeah, well, I mean, we, we, we probably can all recognize it in ourselves. But I mean, obviously, my world that I work in with, obviously, mainly with trading and investing professionals, and they will see they will come into the profession with at that point in time a risk preference perception an idea about what risk taking is and what it isn't and all of them will then also start a, a learning history which is trading and investing context specific and during that pro- during that process some often will get to a stage where they might want to take more risk or they might be encouraged by the firm to take more risk and for some that's easier than it is for others because of disposition current learning history, sometimes social context. So sometimes in my work, we're helping traders to improve their um, risk-taking, to, to increase risk tolerance, to change their risk behaviour. And of course, we can't change their disposition. So we look at where is the anchor point, um, what might the dispositional tendencies be, and we have to acknowledge that and recognise that we're working around that point. So you can't just become somebody else who's opposite to you but we can look at where you're anchored to and now look at what can we create in terms of 
um, practices and training, both um, how can we shift your process, so behavior, how can we shift your psychology, sometimes even physiology, such that we can create conditions that allow you probably, and for most people, maybe incrementally to start taking gradually more risk. Um, and again, disposition will determine whether somebody, if they're going to increase risk, wants to do that in big chunks because they're open to risk and uncertainty or whether the person might want to take those increases in risk taking more gradually. For example, if somebody was learning to highboard dive, for some people, they might go, do you know what? I've done the one, I've jumped from the poolside. I've done the one meter springboard. Let's miss out the three meter. Let's go straight to the five. Or do you know what? Let's just go straight to the 10 and dive off and see what happens. Other people, that's going to be terrifying. And they're going, do you know what? Let's do the pool off the poolside till I feel really comfortable. Let's go to the one. Let's go to the three. Let's go to the five. Let's go to the 10. So even that, you know, how we take risk reflects the forces on risk. It's not just so much how much risk we take. For me, it's much more about how are we taking that risk. And in the trading world, some people and investing, some people will be happy with, you know, taking larger risk. Uh, trading in more volatile market conditions where there's higher uncertainty and be more open to that. And other traders and investors are going to be much more sensitive to that. So we'll probably mediate their risk taking by maybe making smaller trades, smaller investments, maybe shorter time frames, trying to get a sense of more controllability, maybe using things like um, spreads or relative value type trades versus it's got directional long term trades. So there's lots of ways that we can shift our risk taking behavior in a way to mediate what our preferences might be. Uh, and that's actually quite important that we understand who we are as risk takers so that if we want to take more risk, we can do it in a way that almost reflects our uh, preferences. Uh, congruent is the word that I often use. You know, we're kind of we're acting in ways that are congruent with our preferences and tendencies. I know you've done some research which shows that you can be a successful trader regardless of the level of risk you're willing to take. You might trade different markets, take different positions, and then also, I'm curious about how this might impact longer term investors, because you want to return over a longer period where we know equity, which is riskier, is the winning horse. Can you share a little bit of your research or your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, there's there's many different types of risk takers. Um, if you look at them, sort of risk personalities as such. And um, the analogy, again, I would use that's probably useful is we think about um, sports. So, you know, if a person wanted to be a, a sports person and they made that choice and maybe they wanted to compete at a high level, the what that person would need to have an understanding of is, you know, um, what their strengths are, uh, which sports might be more preferable for them. You know, is that person maybe a, um, yeah, a, a leaner, slighter person good at long distance events? Are they maybe someone who's kind of, you know, full of fast twitch? Uh, fibers more muscular for sprinting if that person actually got great hand-eye coordination would be great at racket sports individual would they be a great team player even if you go into a team if you could say football um, are you the goalkeeper are you midfield are you great uh, defensively are you great as a as a forward as an attacker so there's so many different variations of what is a sports person and how you can be successful in sports and we can all obviously we see that the olympics is a great example you know everyone that wins a medal is doing it in a, in a, a different event to everybody else. Um, and they've kind of found that's their little niche. And I think trading and investing is the same. There's many ways to trade or invest, different markets, different styles and strategies. And in the, sort of the, the, the research that I've been involved in, what we found is 
it's it's the, one of the best predictors of how well people will do is is a function of that is congruence. You know, is the person trading and investing in a way which aligns with their risk preferences, how they like to manage risk and also how they respond to risk and not, not just risk, because when we talk about risk, we're also talking about uncertainty. You know, when you make a decision, there's risk involved and there's uncertainty. And those two forces in trading and investing are the ones that often influence the decisions we make, either positively or negatively. So if we can align our trading or investing process with our disposition, with our preferences, you know, with our experiences, then it makes it easier for us to probably you know, make better decisions and be more successful. If we're working against ourselves, and if my anchor's over here, and I'm trying to trading and invest in a way that's right over here, it's going to be difficult. If I can align it more closely, it's just going to feel that bit easier. And for some people, long-term, I've, I mean, I've got clients who are short-term traders who would not want to get involved as a, as a profession in long-term investing because it's too slow-moving. Yeah, they get, you know they they want they want to be in that they have a preference and a tendency to get be good at making fast decisions in the moment, intuitive. They like volatility. They like novelty. They like to be kind of in the flow of things. And if they were on a day to day basis having to do sort of the long term research and analysis for a long term investor, it would drive them crazy. And I've got long term traders who would not function well in short term, fast moving, volatile markets because it doesn't suit how they perceive think about, manage risk, how they deal with uncertainty um, and the discomforts that can come from that as well. So it, um, so I think having that awareness is, is really useful for all people. And again, if you're you know, advising people, it's the same thing you know, for financial advisors, being aware of who are the people you're working with and their tendencies, because again, they may be different to yours. Um, we're, we're all different. Yeah, so it's, it's like a self-awareness. I mean, how do we even start to be self-aware of our own risk aversion and particularly how that's impacting our decisions around money? How do we have that self-awareness? And then I'm glad you mentioned the financial advisors, financial planners, because they're not dealing with their own propensity to take risks. They're trying to manage other people, their clients. Yeah. So, you know, how do we have that self-awareness ourselves? And also, how do we help others yeah. with that? When you got, I mean, I think there's two core uh, methodologies um, you can also take a, a, a like a personality assessment, um, ideally one that's got a strong focus on risk. Uh, that would be useful or, or decision making focus type um, assessment. Um, but the other way of doing it is we can ask ourselves or we can ask other people, how do you like to make decisions? Now, we could do that in general. For example, we could go, OK, when you are tell me about a time, tell me about how you chose your last holiday. You know, how did you decide where to go and what was the process of making that decision? Now, I've worked with a person who worked in a hedge fund and um, they were what we might call an adventurous risk taker. And he said to me, he said, this is my I this is how I choose my holiday, Steve. I pick an interesting location. For example, he'd recently been to South America. So he said, I, I pick South America. I pick a country and I pick a city. Then I book a flight and I book one or two nights in a hotel in that first city. And then I get that bit done and then I see how it goes from there. Now, I speak to other people and I say, how do you plan your holiday? And then I go, what I do is I spend you know, months researching all the different locations. Um, then I might find where I'm going to go. Then I find you know, a short list of 15 hotels and I spend you know, three weeks going through all the TripAdvisor reviews. 
then I look at all the different airlines and I look at all of this and I look at this and I do this and I, you know, and basically I'm trying to minimize risk and minimize uncertainty to make sure I make a really good choice. Everything's planned. I schedule every single day. It's all booked in advance. I've got loads of insurance just in case things go wrong and so on. And in those two holiday choices, we are seeing uh, in their behavior a reflection of their, um, well, we're seeing their risk behavior play out in the context of how we might book holidays. Now we could do the same thing. If you were going to make a financial decision, buy a house, uh, take out a mortgage, take out a loan, make an investment, give me some examples from the past about how you typically have gone about that. And again, we'll see the same thing. Some people will be sort of quite quick to action, minimal information, just enough, maybe going for riskier choices. Other people will be definitely playing it much further at the safer end. Some will say, you know, how they feel plays a big part in those decisions. Others will be very clearly very analytical about how they make them. So I think we can reflect on in ourselves and in others experiences of how they have been making decisions or their preferences for how they would like to make it if they were able to. And ideally, maybe it's a bit of both. We could get some data, subjective kind of personality data, plus some experiences, put the two together, and we probably get pretty good insights from doing that. So our past performance doesn't predict our future performance, but past behavior does give us indication of future behavior. That, that makes a lot of sense. But I suppose we must always be mindful of different contexts, right? Things can play out differently in different contexts. This is all really, really helpful. Thank you for your time and your insight, Steve. No, you're welcome. I'm hoping you can see just how big a topic risk is when it comes to your finances. And as with all of these cognitive biases, there is no simple answer to how you're impacted and why. For one thing, your risk tolerance will change over the years as you go through different seasons of life. Circumstances are going to change, you'll get older, your income will hopefully increase, your marital status and dependence might change. So that means your ability to handle risk will also change. Remember what Steve said, your ability to handle risk isn't just down to your personality. External factors play a big part in risk tolerance as well. It can be very tempting to think of risk aversion as being a bad thing. But if you think about what we just discussed with Steve, it's actually not one of the bad ones. There are other behavioral biases that are way more dangerous than this one. There is actually a time and a place for being risk averse. If you think about it, taking the guaranteed 10,000 rather than the coin toss might make more sense when you have young children you need to put through school and a mortgage on your house that needs paying off. You don't want to be risking your savings on a potentially big win when you're in a phase of your life that needs stability. It's true, the downside of being risk averse is that you can miss out on opportunities to earn higher returns with your investments. You run the risk of ending up with much lower expected returns. But on the other hand, you're far less likely to lose money. So, how do we know if you're risk averse? Well, think about how you've gone about making decisions in the past, the kinds of investments you have. Like Steve spoke about, Risk aversion is a complex bias to unpack in yourself and your risk tolerance will move depending on the situation and where you are in your life. The boat that's anchored down is a great analogy, so keep that in mind. And that's it for our first episode of season two. There's still a lot to unpack around risk aversion. In the next episode, we're opening up the discussion and we're gonna talk about loss aversion because it's so closely linked to what we've been talking about today. I'll see you in the next episode. But before I go, don't forget to like and subscribe. Thanks for watching.
That was Nudging Financial Behavior, hosted by behavioral finance expert, Dr. Giselle Willows. Make sure you like and subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. You can catch the Nudging Financial Behavior podcast on YouTube, our blog, or your favorite podcast streaming platform. Thank you again to our sponsors, IG Market South Africa, for helping to bring the show to life. And now for the disclaimer. This podcast should not be seen as advice. All the information and opinions are the general nature. They are not intended to address the needs or circumstances of any individual. We are not financial advisors, neither are any of our staff or service providers, nor is our sponsor. All expressions of opinion by the host or guest are subject to change without notice in reaction to shifting market conditions. Any information you get from us should be seen as only that, information only.